good to come and share with you this morning. And uh, as Trisha has already said in the last of this little series, as you've been thinking about the Trinity, and I'm going to ask that uh, we take another moment or two of quiet as we still our hearts to hear what God has to say to us uh, through his word this morning. So we'll just take another moment or two of quiet, and then I'll pray again that God might speak to us uh, through his living word. We've sung about the word of God the Father, speaking of the Lord Jesus, but we come now to the written word. So let's just take another moment or two of quiet, and then I'll pray. Father, we do thank you that we've been able to sing of the Lord Jesus as the Word of God, the Father. And we thank you, too, that we have this written Word of yours in front of us this morning in our own language, freely available to us. <coughs> and we ask, Lord, that you will speak to us through your Word this morning. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to have open hearts and listening ears and obedient wills as we do so this morning. So speak to us, help us, we pray, to understand what you want us to hear today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So here we are, last in a little series of three that you've been doing as you've been considering the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm sure that Chris and uh, Andrew before me have probably said uh, that this is not something easy to understand, the Trinity. Uh, not easy to explain. Uh, there have been many attempts to explain the Trinity using human analogies. I'm not going to try any this morning because Actually, of course, we're using finite minds to try to in understand infinite things. <laughs> and so uh, we come this morning, I hope, recognizing that these things are not easy to understand and they're not easy for a preacher to explain. And I'm not sure I'm even going to try in that sense this morning. But I hope that as we spend some time together thinking about the fact that God is three people and yet one person and he is one person and yet three people, will enable us to grow in our understanding of this important subject, this important truth of Scripture that Christians have believed in down through the centuries and believe in today. Andrew and I uh, had a few email uh, backwards and forwards about this morning, and I found something that he wrote in one of his emails really helpful because this was something that he wrote to me saying this is what he wanted to try and get across in, in uh, this sermon this morning. He, he spoke about the intimate, purposeful relationship in the Godhead and how we ourselves are drawn into that relationship for God to continue to work his purposes out in us. Let me read that again. The intimate, purposeful relationship in the Godhead the Trinity, and how we ourselves are drawn into that relationship for God to continue to work his purposes out in us. And I might add, through us. 
and in his church. And as I was thinking about this morning and thinking, as many of us no doubt have been as we approach the Christmas season, as I've got older, I have begun to appreciate the season of Advent more and more. Um, I didn't really much think about it, if I'm honest, for very many years. You kind of arrived at Christmas, and Christmas happened, and then you moved on. Um, but as I've got a little older and a little slower, uh, I have taken a bit more time to think about the whole of this Advent season, and uh, this year has been no exception to that over the last few years. And as I've been reading in Luke's Gospel and just pondering the truth slowly and steadily of what's revealed there, it occurred to me that actually even this morning, um, as we think about the Trinity, that the whole of the Trinity was, of course, involved in the season of the year, what we call Christmas, the Advent season, and the extraordinary events describing and the taking place of the conception of Jesus in Mary is all about the Trinity. And I thought I would just read, if I may, a passage that you may well be reading over the next couple of weeks. Don't worry about turning to it. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. So Gabriel has come to Mary, and, uh, and he's greeted her. And she understandably is feeling a bit confused, if not frightened. And he says to her, or at least it begins here in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 29, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And in this pivotal moment in the history of mankind, the Godhead, the Trinity, is intimately involved in all that takes place. We know that, but maybe we don't always think about it in quite that way. But the Father determines that these things will happen. It's in verses 32 and verse 33 of that little passage I just read. The Father is involved. He's saying this is what's going to happen. And the Son, as is implied in verse 31, willingly gives of himself and says, yes, I'll come. And the Holy Spirit, as we know, is the one through whom Mary conceives, verse 35 tells us. And so right at the beginning, if you like, of the Christian life, the Christian truth as we understand it from the point of view of Jesus onwards, the Holy Trinity, the Spirit of God, the Son of God, the Father, are intimately involved working his purposes out in all these things. And I think that's just wonderful, <coughs> amazing. And the work of the Trinity continues today in us, in you and me, and through his church. And that's part of what Andrew was trying to get across to us from the reading that we've had. And we'll come back to that in a moment. And I believe that that passage 
as I hope we will see, gives us some further clues as to the extraordinary nature of this three-in-one, one-in-three relationship and how it impacts us today. But before we get to that, I want to read a couple of other verses that we sometimes speak about and think about at this time of the year from John chapter 1, verse 14. Again, you needn't turn to it if you don't want to, but I'm going to read just two verses, verses 14 and 18, and which say this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. The Father and the Son intimately involved, and the Holy Spirit bringing that understanding to us. Jesus came from the Father. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact representation of the Father. So there are lots of scriptures that speak about the Father and the Son. There are fewer that speak about the Holy Spirit, though we have some here this morning, and I'm glad that this is the passage that we're considering because all three are involved in this relationship. So if you've got your Bibles open at John chapter 14, let's get into that, which is where you thought I was going to go 10 minutes ago, (laughs) and I've now got there. So John chapter 14, from the reading that Heather very kindly shared with us from verses 5 through to 21. You know, if you know your Bible at all, you'll know that this comes on the back of uh, uh, this whole description about the fact that Jesus is going to comfort his disciples, and yet he's going to go away. And Thomas begins this little section with the question that we had. Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way and then Jesus describes the fact that he is the way he is the truth he is the life that's how we get to know these things and then Philip asks a very interesting question I wonder whether we would have asked the same one maybe we would Lord show us the father that'll be enough for us (laughs) show us who this father God is and Jesus is almost incredulous and says hang on a minute I've been with you quite a long time now. (laughs) Haven't you grasped yet that when you see me, you see the Father? And he helps them, helps Philip, helps the other disciples, helps us today to understand as we look at a few of these verses. So verses 10 and 11. Let me read them to you again. I'm using the uh, not-quite-so-PC NIV version. the, the one that was read to you uh, hadn't, didn't have the word him very often. It had them and the like. Whether you notice that, it's just the way the NLV has changed its style a little. So I'm reading from the older version, but it has essentially the same thing. And Jesus says to Philip, Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Philip, when you see me, you see the Father. We are one. 
Well, I don't need to show you the Father because I have already shown you the Father because when you see me, you see the Father. We are inseparable. That's what John referred to earlier. I read from verse 18 of chapter 1. The one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with God. There could never have been a closer relationship than the Father and the Son. They were one and yet they were distinct. So the Father and the Son are inseparable, Jesus says. Then verses 13 and 14. I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The Father and the Son combine to bring glory to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. The Son may bring glory to the Father. That's the whole purpose of Jesus living on earth. Ultimately, is to bring glory to God. Even his death on the cross was not simply to deal with my sin and your sin and our rebellion and enable us to have a relationship with God. That was wonderfully part of it. But bottom line is that the whole purpose of Jesus' life on earth was to bring glory to God. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he did do. And just while we're on uh, those verses, I will just touch on the fact that <coughs> verse 14 says, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's an often misunderstood little phrase of Jesus, that. For if you take it at face value, you can say, as long as I say in Jesus' name at the end of my prayer, I'll get what I'm asking for. If you literally just took it for the words that are spoken there. So as long as I pray, uh, Lord, I'd, I'd love that uh, snow out there to turn to 30 degrees sunshine by the time we finish this service, in Jesus' name, it will happen. Well, of course... That's a silly example, but it wouldn't happen. That's not what it's about. It's not about asking for what we want in Jesus' name. And uh, a couple of the commentaries I was looking at just commented, uh, two little comments. Praying in Jesus' name means praying in a way consistent with his character and will. When we get to know who Jesus is, the more intimate our relationship with him, the more we will know his character and his will, and we will pray according to that. And so when we pray according to that and we ask it in his name, we know that he will work his purposes out. And another said, it is prayer aimed at carrying forward the work that Jesus did. And that has a little echo into what Andrew wrote to me in his email that we ourselves are drawn into a relationship for God to continue to work his purposes out in us. And as we pray, we are endeavoring to seek God and his will and his purposes to let his will and his purposes be worked out in us and through us into the world around us. So the Father and Son are inseparable. The Father and Son combine to bring glory to God and the Holy Spirit verses 16 and 17, is a gift from the Father through the Son. See those verses? I will ask the Father, says Jesus, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
What an extraordinary gift that the Father, through the Son, gives to you and me. If we know Jesus as Savior, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We don't need to ask for a special gift from the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. It's a gift that God gives through his Son to all those who have faith in Jesus. What an amazing gift. Because we're not, as Jesus says, left orphans. Now, I love the fact that when Jesus speaks about the Spirit here, he says, I'll ask the Father, he will give you another counselor or other words that are often translated there are helper or advocate all of them are kind of legal terms people who will come alongside someone who comes alongside in your hour of need and that's what the holy spirit does for us one who defends or comes alongside those who need help and that's what the holy spirit (coughs) does we're not left by ourselves to struggle through with life today So the Father and the Son are inseparable. The Father and the Son combine to bring glory to God. The Father gives the Holy Spirit through the Son to his people. In verses 20 and 21, the love of the Father cannot be separated from the love of the Son. Do you see that? On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, verse 20, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I got quite excited when I read that verse again because I recognize there's a double hand clasp going on there. The Father loves me, the Son loves me, and I'm held securely in that love. And it reminded me of the verses that Jesus spoke about earlier in John's Gospel, chapter Ten, I give them eternal life, he says, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says, I've got your hand. And if I had another hand, God has my hand. You're in a double hand clasp. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It's what Paul writes about in Romans, isn't it? Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we need to hang on to that sometimes, I think. I I was in a conversation with somebody not long ago. I I don't think anybody in this room knows them. They're certainly not a member of this church or Hillview Church, but... Uh, and I'm certainly not going to reveal who they are, but uh, they were in a period of of significant doubt and struggle in their Christian life. And we had a long conversation and and went through all sorts of things, as you might imagine, and this person was being really honest with me and sharing all the things that they were struggling with. And uh, if you've ever been involved in that kind of conversation, it's quite hard work and it's really quite intense. And then suddenly they said... Tell me about Jesus, Tim. And I tried to do that best I could, falteringly and haltingly and trying to remember, uh, speaking from heart as well as mind. And uh, they indicated that that had in some way helped them. I trust so, continue to pray for them that God might work in that person's heart to, to bring them through this understandable for, 
I guess all of us doubt to some extent, but this had got quite serious. Through that doubt and uncertainty, uh, with their eyes fixed on Jesus. And actually, as I prepared for this morning and, and thought about the verses I've just read from John 10, the fact that we're in Jesus' hands and we're in the Father's hands, I wish I'd remembered those verses when I was talking to that person. And I may yet be in touch and say, have a look at these. Because isn't that wonderful? In, in the times when we struggle with life, the whole of the Godhead is on our side. Jesus holds our hand. The Father holds our hand. The Holy Spirit indwells us. We are utterly safe. And actually being utterly safe means we can ask the hard questions. So this person who was sharing with me about their doubts and uncertainties and their fears and their anxieties, God doesn't turn away from that kind of person. Indeed, he runs towards them. And he grasps them by the hand. And I've no idea where you are this morning. This is almost an aside, except I think maybe an important aside. I don't know where you are this morning, but if you take nothing else away from this morning, take that away. That the Trinity, however hard it is to understand, however hard it is to explain, is intimately involved in your life today, right here, right now. And every day. And every moment. He doesn't leave us. And as we leave John's gospel, as we will in a few moments, I just want to, as we conclude, read some verses from Ephesians. But as we leave John's gospel, there are three things I want us to say as we begin to move towards a conclusion. First of all, it's important to see that, that Jesus here speaks clearly about trusting and obedience in the same breath. Verses 11 and 15 and 21 and 23, which we didn't read. Maybe I'll just read verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 11, 15, 21, and 23. Jesus speaks about Listening and obeying. Trusting and obeying. There's a lovely old song that we used to sing. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Incredibly simple words. An incredibly simple song that some of you may never have heard of and others of you are reaching back into your minds thinking, oh, yes, I remember singing that. Well, what a wonderful truth. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And it's not just trusting. It's not just enough to say, I trust you, Lord. He expects obedience to flow out of that. Trusting and obeying. Love for Christ and keeping his commands cannot be separated. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, that um, uh, salvation without discipleship is cheap grace. Remember the first time I read that, I felt like a slap around the face with a wet fish. 
Salvation without discipleship is cheap grace. It says, Lord, your grace doesn't mean a lot to me, really. I'll take the salvation. Thank you very much. That's great. But don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to get involved in discipleship, please, Lord. I'll just take the salvation. Thank you. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it's like cheap grace. It's as if you've just trodden all over God's grace. And Jesus says, trust me, obey me. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to enable us to do those things. Secondly, the Holy Spirit was at the time with Jesus' disciples. That's what he talked about uh, when he spoke about the Holy Spirit coming. He says um, in verse 17... Read that again. I'll get the right spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or know him. For you, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. At that time, the Holy Spirit lived with the disciples, kind of rested upon them, if you like. But Jesus says, I'm going to go. But you're not going to be left on your own. You're not going to be left as orphans to get on and struggle all by yourselves. The Holy Spirit will come and live in you and he did and he does still today and so we're not left as orphans and so it's not that we're left by ourselves to get on and try and struggle to live the Christian life but the Holy Spirit lives within us and thirdly because the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all at work in us today they continue to influence the world in which we live. That's what they do. I don't know about you, but I find myself increasingly disturbed at news. In fact, there are times when I stop watching the news. It's almost too depressing. Of course, you don't switch off from watching the news, but you feel like it sometimes. It's bad news after bad news after bad news. I read a little statistic this morning that made my heart really sad. Apparently there are 65 million displaced people in the world today. It's the equivalent of the whole of the United Kingdom suddenly not living in the homes that they live in around the world. 65 million people not living where they should be living. Some are completely refugees, some have simply been displaced temporarily, but they're not where they ought to be. And the world in which we live is a dark world, isn't it? It's a sad world, it's a difficult world, but, but by the Spirit of God, you and I are called to be the lights that make a difference. I can't change very much, if anything, for those 65 million people who are displaced around the world. But I can make a difference to my neighbor or my work colleague or my family member who doesn't yet know Jesus. And what God wants to do by his spirit is to so work in me and in you and in us and through us that the world will see Jesus. I wonder if they will tomorrow as we go about our tasks, whatever they might be. It's an awesome responsibility. <laughs> but take heart. We don't do it on our own. 
the Holy Spirit lives in us, and we have each other to encourage each other. And uh, those of you who are keen-eyed will have seen that the title on your bulletin for this morning was One in the Life of the Believer and His Church. And uh, I, did, I, I gave that as a title. One in the Life of the Believer was always going to be the title. And I put, and in his church, because I hoped I might get to Ephesians chapter 4. Although the more I prepared, the more I realized I wasn't going to get to it. But I will read it if you'd like to turn to Ephesians 4. Because we're in it as church together. And God is one, not only in our lives individually, but in the life of his church. Three people as one at work in our church. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, but feel free to follow it. I'm just reading the first six verses. You will know these verses well, I'm sure, many, if not all of you. Jesus says this, Therefore... I, uh, Jesus, Paul writes this, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body. We have the same spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. So, the Spirit of God lives in us. We have each other to encourage we're part of the church if we know and love Jesus. And so the Trinity, although it's not easily understood and not easily explained, is something to be rejoiced in and trusted in. So let's pray as we ponder the truths of God's word to us this morning, particularly from John 14, as we rejoice in the truth of the Trinity, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work in you and me today. Let's pray together, and I'm going to hand back to Tricia. <laughs> Father, if we are honest before you this morning, the whole topic of the Trinity is something difficult for us to understand using our finite minds to try to understand something of infinite truth. But we thank you that it is true, and we believe it to be truth. And we pray that you will help us as we think about the fact that you are intimately involved in relationship with one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and wonderfully, you are intimately involved with us. Help us to rest in the truth of that so that when the struggles and difficulties come and in the midst of life's joys and pleasures, we might rejoice in the fact that we extraordinarily have been chosen to be part of the Godhead, born again by your Spirit through the faith in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are at work Today, please help us to be lights 
in a dark world wherever you place us. And we pray these things and bring you thanks for your love, your goodness, your mercy, your kindness and your grace. In the precious name of Jesus.